This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everyone. Lovely to be here. And uh, I know the Ian will be upset with that short reading, but don't be upset, Ian. I've got another one for you later on. You know. Tell me, I, I want to raise a show of hands here. Who recognises the names James Watson and Francis Crick? One, two, three... very famous people. You know, from time immemorial, man, mankind, has searched, trying to understand what it is that makes up the building blocks of life. You want, why is it that we all seem to be the same, and yet we're all different? You know, there's only one situation where individuals in the world can actually be the same. And another than this one situation, which we'll go into, there has never been two people, two individuals from the foundation of the world other than this one circumstance that are the same. Similar, yes but not the same. And Watson and Crick were the final link in a, a chain of scientists, starting with uh, Frederick Misha, who in 1869 discovered a substance called nuclein. And then through experiments in the 40s by a team of scientists at the Rockefeller University, they're, they're increasing their knowledge of the building block of life it, but it wasn't until Watson and Crick made this crucial advance where they proposed that the molecule of DNA was made up of two chains of nucleotides paired in such a way to form a double helix and it's rather like a, a spiral staircase uh, and this structure announced in a, a very famous paper in Nature magazine of April 1953 explained how this molecule could replicate itself during cell division and enabled organisms to produce themselves, reproduce themselves with absolutely amazing accuracy except for occasional mutations. The individual building blocks of life and for this, in, in 1962, they were awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology and in Medicine. My wife, as many of you here will know, is an identical twin. That's the one situation where the DNA is the same because the egg splits and so everything is the same. And it's just that one occasion. Do you know, when, you were, uh, when they were younger, 
you really had a job to identify who was who. They were genetically the same, still are. They had the same DNA. And yet now there are clear differences. When we were young, as you can imagine, they had quite a discussion about who should get me. And Pat lost. <laughs> but, um, and, and Peg had the other boy that she went out with for about two weeks. But there we go. Um, they are quite different now. Very similar in many ways if you know them. But quite dissimilar too. <coughs> Their understanding of life is different. Their attitudes to life are different. Whilst they're similar, they're not the same. That they've remained very close. They see each other all the time. But they don't see life in the same way at all. Our natures, our, uh, the structure of our physical bodies, including the structure of our brain, are all made up. What identifies us as different is our DNA. And as I'm sure you, you're very well aware that if they've got just one spot of DNA, they're solving old crimes where they didn't understand DNA. And they're solving old crimes by just finding some little piece, a, a hair follicle, anything. And then they can identify who it belongs to. With, with absolute certainty, because we're all different. And yet there's far more to, to our natures than that body. But that body is part of our nature. The intellect, the thought processes that uh, stimulate our actions, you know, we know so much about the physical brain, yet we know so little about the nature of life. Well, about 2,023 years ago, a remarkable incident took place. It's what we'd call a miracle, because it's something outside the, the normal laws of nature. We're approaching a time now when every year a, a large proportion of civilization celebrate the outcome of this quite unique act. I, I want you to, to read about it and, and this is where Ian's going to be back up here because it's from Luke's Gospel this time we're back into Luke chapter 1 and we're going to read from verse 26 to verse 35 if that's alright Ian Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 35 <coughs> reading then Luke chapter 1 verse 26 and in the sixth month 
the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not, not a man? And the angel answered, and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And now just hang on a little minute here, I'm going to do another one. Luke chapter 2 and the first seven verses. We're reading now from the next chapter, Luke, Luke 2, verses 1 to 7. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in a swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for, for them in the inn. And I could see he was waiting there to see if I'd call on him to do another one. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. What we're looking at this afternoon is the nature of this quite remarkable human being. We're asking the question, what really happened as Mary... Um, uh, sorry, as, as the, the Holy Spirit of God 
came upon Mary, and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. This, if you remember that reading, have a look. The angel said this was to be a special child. He would be called the Son of the Highest. He had a very, very special purpose. And that was to receive from God the throne of David, his ancestor. He would be a king forever and of his kingdom there would be no end. So he was to be a king, a ruler. That was his purpose. And yet there's another purpose too. Do you remember how that reading started off? In uh, verse 26. No, it's not verse 26 that I'm looking at. It's verse 31. It says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, that's a name that is a Greek form of Yeshua, which is the Hebrew. It was translated in Hebrew as Joshua. It's the same name. And it means God saves. So he's got this, this name that is God saves. And yet here in Luke we're told that his main purpose was to be a king. So I want you to have a look with me now at Matthew's Gospel. Don't worry, I'll let you off this one in. It's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And verse 18. So we're looking at the same time. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, it's the same name, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So we've got two purposes with Jesus. That's what the angel said. That the, the purpose of being a king and the purpose of being a saviour. Jesus has this twofold purpose. And it's as the saviour that we read of Jesus through the gospel. We read of how we are saved through his life. And, and the Gospels, the good news, is a story of the life of Jesus, which shows how we are saved through his life. But he talks about Jesus Christ. 
that's how we started in verse 8. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was this right. Jesus means saviour. Christ means anointed. Anointed to be king. So you've got the twofold applications of, of what Jesus is to be in that name, Jesus Christ. Saviour, king. Anointed king. Um, so it was the nature of Jesus what we're looking at is a baby being born just like we are he was a baby and he had his own unique DNA as we all have unique DNA. He was a member of the human race. So he has DNA. Do you know there's a reluctance sometimes to accept the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, was fully a member of the human race. You see, some feel that that to think of Jesus as sharing our nature with all its weaknesses is in a way to, to degrade him and to then cast doubt on his sinlessness but the Bible is quite adamant that Jesus is a man it refers to Jesus as a man 30 times in John's Gospel, 14 times in Mark's Gospel, 25 times in Luke's Gospel, 11 times in John. It's, just have a look with me at, at um, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. I'm just going to read several verses out they're not joined together but you'll see exactly what I'm getting at here uh, verse 2 you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified verse 24 the son of man goeth as it is written of him the son of man goeth as it is written of him but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be good for him he had never been born. Verse 45. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. It's not just once or twice it's all the time that Jesus is referred as the son of man as we are verse 64 thou hast said nevertheless I say unto you hereafter shall ye see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven come with me to Galatians it's a point that I really do need to emphasize Galatians chapter 4 and I'm reading from verse 4 
This is Paul writing. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. We're all under the law. The law of sin and death. He was a human being. With all the weaknesses that we have. All of them. Have a look with me at, at Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 4. This is reading from verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points, every single point, tempted like as we are. All the temptations that you can think you've had, Jesus had. Yet without sin. Just turn back a, a couple of chapters to, to chapter 2. This is verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He needed to be like you and like me. It was necessary that he was. Because without that, he couldn't be a merciful high priest in things pertaining to God and make reconciliation for us. So Jesus was a human being. All those weaknesses that we have. We've read how Jesus was born. We read how he was laid in a manger, remember. We read in Luke chapter 2 of Jesus. But let's go back to Luke chapter 2 and move a little further down. We're going to get the first words that are recorded that Jesus spoke. Luke chapter 2, we'll start at verse 42. When he was 12 years old, his parents, uh, they, that's his parents, uh, went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they'd fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of him. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they, re they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. It came to pass that after three days they'd been hunting, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, first words we have of Jesus how is it that you sought me 
wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. So here we're finding that there's something very different about this 12-year-old child that is very different from other 12-year-old children. He's still a child, and he's a human being. But there's something very special about him. Jesus is learning of his destiny. He's learning of his destiny, his purpose, from God's word. Um, and so we carry on reading and we say and they understood not the saying which he spoke to them he understood he knew what he was talking about they didn't and he went down with them came to Nazareth and was subject unto them but his mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. So his knowledge was growing all the time. His understanding was growing all the time. He was of us, but he was very special. We next hear of Jesus being baptised. So we're now moving to Luke chapter 3. Just reading verses 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Eighteen years have gone by since that incident in the temple where his parents just didn't understand what he was talking about. He did. And he's grown in stature and in grace and favour with God. And he's now being baptised He's setting out the beginning of his work, his purpose. This is the start of his purpose. Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. Jesus' knowledge has grown tremendously. He is very special. But he was still a human being. We look at his age. He was 12. He would look 12 because he was 12. He's now 30 or thereabouts. He would look 30. He was a man. What if things had just gone on as normal? Would he look 50 at 50 years old? Would he look 70 at 70 years old he would age and he would die because he has our nature and we age and we die 
We don't know at what age he would have died because that wasn't his destiny to die of old age. He died a cruel death on the cross in love and obedience to his father's will that in that sacrifice he could fulfill perfection, a perfect life of love and obedience. And through that perfect life to open up the way for our salvation to Jesus God says he was tempted very strongly we've read how he was tempted in every point as we are well he was tempted very strongly to turn back from this destiny and just, just have a look with me again if we go back to to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 26. Judas, I think we're all aware that Judas is the disciple that betrayed him. And Jesus knew it. Jesus actually sent him on his way, do what you do quickly. And he's now on the Mount of Olives and he's waiting he's waiting for Judas verse 37 and we'll start at 36 then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane no I'm sorry it's not the Mount of Olives it's Gethsemane and said to his disciples sit ye here while I go and pray yonder and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he said unto them, My soul's exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he comes to the disciples, and he findeth them asleep, and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy and he left them and he went away and prayed the third time saying the same words this was this was as difficult for Jesus as it would be for you and it would be for me and so Jesus was taken the disciples actually tried to protect him. Peter drew a sword and chopped off. And, and just look what Jesus says, because the, the temptation that Jesus had is far more acute than you and I can possibly imagine. Just come with me to verse 50. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, this is when Jesus arrived. Friend, wherefore art thou come? Uh, they came 
And then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which was with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. So there's Peter. He's defending his Lord and his master. Then said Jesus uh, unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than twelve legion of angels, one thousand two hundred angels, were there for Jesus to ask for. And yet that was not his father's will. And so he didn't. There was that way of escape for Jesus. But he wouldn't have fulfilled his destiny. And that scripture must be fulfilled. That's what we read. But then, verse 54, but then, shall the, how then shall the scripture be fulfilled that thus it must be? And so Jesus died, a sinless man. And in death, it was in his death that he became perfect. Whilst he was alive, right to the last moment, he was suffering temptation. They'd rile at him on the cross, why didn't you come down? And you know he could have. He could have walked down from the cross. He would have had that temptation to come down from the cross. But once he's dead, the perfection is sealed. There's no changing it. His life was a testimony. It became a testimony to a perfect life. He died sinless, no more temptation can't be tempted when you're dead go with me to Philippians if you will chapter 2 Philippians is I think most of us know it's written by the Apostle Paul this is describing Jesus verse 8 and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. It's all to the glory of God that's how Jesus lived his life to the glory of God this is have a look at, at Acts chapter 2 with me now uh, this is the apostle Peter on the on the first preaching effort after Jesus's uh, ascension into heaven the the disciples they're now apostles they've received the power of the Holy Spirit that the same spirit that Jesus had at his baptism and in verse, part of his, his address is this, verse 23. And him, this is Jesus, 
being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So what Jesus was saying, that it was the purpose of God, is quite true. It was the purpose of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Why was it wrong? Why was it not possible that the grave should hold Jesus? He was a man. Why, why was it not possible, he says? Well, we find the answer to that at the end of um, Romans chapter 6, a passage I'm sure that most of us know very well. It's looking at the conclusion of our salvation through Jesus. And he says, but verse 22, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't sin. In his death, there wasn't the possibility, the temptation of sinning. So it wasn't right that he should remain dead. That's why Jesus was raised from the dead. Because he didn't have those wages to pay. Let's go back to the angel and to Mary. And let's just ask the question, why was it necessary for God to intervene in the birth of Jesus? Why did God have to intervene? Why couldn't it just be that this man was able to do it? What did God do that made Jesus so different from you and me. And let me put it this way. I'm saying the obvious. I'm me. You're you. We're different. I have a limited intelligence. I have a, a certain intellectual capacity. With all the desire that I have in the world... I don't have the capacity to be a top classical pianist. I don't even have the capacity, the mental capacity, to be a medical doctor or a nuclear scientist. I recognize my limitations. I wonder if you, you read in the newspaper just this last week about Lawrence Simmons. Anybody read about Lawrence Simmons in the in the newspaper this week. You did? Well done. Laurence Simmons, he's um, in Belgium, and he got a degree in electrical engineering. Right, what's so special about that? Well, what's special is he's nine years old. That's what's special about him. They can't quite measure his IQ. It's at least 145. 
and all the universities around the world are vying for him to come to their university to carry on his education. Do you know, I wish I had that IQ. I wish I was that clever. But I'm not. I don't have that capacity. I know my limitations. Come with me, if you would, to Isaiah, the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 55. I'm reading from verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways my thoughts than your thoughts Jesus had a very different mind to you and to me he could understand God's thoughts he could fathom God's ways he was human he could have he could have chosen to set all that aside and to live in the world as a normal person. That was a temptation. But he didn't. He chose to go God's way. You know, one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, asked Jesus something. Let's have a look at it. It's in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, um, verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. What do you think Philip was meaning? Do you think he was saying, Jesus, could you, this sounds so irreverent, could you conjure up God? from somewhere so that we can look on him and see what he's like. He wasn't saying that at all. All the Jews knew that from their Old Testament no man can see God and live. What, what's he saying? Lord, show us the Father. What's God really like? What is he like? Show us what God's like. Have a look at Jesus' reply. Have I been so long time with you, and you, yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? I am like the Father. My thoughts are his thoughts. My ways are his ways. In me, you see the Father. We talk, 
in, in a religious sense, the, the phrase is God manifestation. That this is what we're talking about. That Jesus was the same thoughts, the same ways as God, even in this body of sin that we all have, of temptation and selfishness. Jesus had that. Show us the Father. Can you remember the first reading that we had? It was from John's Gospel, chapter 1. Uh, the reason I, I had that reading is that it's a, a passage of Scripture that many people view in an entirely wrong way. We're looking still at Jesus' birth, in a sense, but it's in a, ten, in a different way. You see, it's thought by many people to show that Jesus actually wasn't human. But really what he was God was was God hiding in a human body. In fact, at that time, the time that our Bibles were translated, the, the version I'm using, if I had thought anything but that, that it was God hiding in a human body, I would have suffered such persecution. I would have suffered death for just thinking that. It was very dangerous to think anything but what is commonly called now the Trinity. Your life was forfeit if you thought anything but that Jesus was God. And John 1, this little section, is translated in such a way to imply that belief. So I want us to examine these verses with you to show what John actually is saying and to us of what John is trying to show. First of all, there's, there's three things I want to, to just bring to your attention. The first one is that that capital W on the beginning of word isn't there. There is no capital W. That's been put in by our translators. The second thing I want to point out to you is the Greek. There is no male and there's no female. It's always it and whether it's male, female or it is bound up with the context of what you're reading the other thing is that there's no apostrophe you know like we'll say um, Michael's shoe with an apostrophe S in Greek it would be Michael's shoe and, and you would from the context put the apostrophe in It's all down to context. So let's just have a little read of John chapter 1 again. 
In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by it. And without it was nothing, uh, was not anything made that was made. In it was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That reading is, is just as accurate as what's written there. It's a different context. Uh, and what we're actually thinking is, well, what's the word? It, it all bears down to, what is John meaning here? In the beginning was the word. Is the word a person? Is it a thing? Is it an idea? What's the word? Now, you can get many people that will try to explain what they mean or what they think this means by word. What I want to do is not to tell you what I think it says. I want to show you what John thinks it says. You see, this isn't this word that is, this word that's translated word. In the Greek is logos. It isn't put here in isolation. It's all the way through the Gospels. It's used very often. And so let's have a look at what... Um, in fact, I'd, I'd had a look here in John's Gospel. It's 36 times Logos is used. So let's just have a look at what um, he's saying. Now, this is where it would have come in extremely useful if we'd been able to get onto the projector. But um, I'll have a look at... Uh, looked at word and now I'm going to have a look at all the occurrences that that happened and now I'm going to have a look at them in John's Gospel uh, trust me on this one give me a number up to 30 Nicky 7 okay. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 6, 7 John chapter 4 verse 15 Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. And he went his way. That's Logos. He believed the word. Anyone? Andrew, give us a number. Uh, do you know I've looked up and so I've lost that one. Let me have a one, two, three, four, five. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. This is John 6, verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Where's Logos there? Um. Saying. It's saying. There's nothing special about the word. It just means word or saying 
So let's, come on, let's, let's just go back to John again. In the beginning was the saying. And the saying was with God. And the saying was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by it, and without it was not anything made. Saying. It's also translated purpose. God had a purpose. Right from the very beginning. Let's have a little look at Genesis, finally. Genesis chapter 1. This is all about creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. We're looking at sayings, what God said. And see if it happened. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and let the land appear. And it was so. It happened. Verse 11. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb ye do see, the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. What God said happened in the beginning God said come with me to Genesis chapter 3 they've been told Adam's been told not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He's told his wife, because he was told before she was created, you must not eat of that tree. And she did. And she persuaded Adam to eat of it too. And they're found in the garden, having eaten of that fruit. And um, they're making all sorts of excuses. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, thou shouldest not eat? To Adam, verse 12. And the man said, The woman, it's a woman's fault, the woman whom thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. The Lord said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, It's not me. It's the serpent. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel the serpent brought into the world sin 
That's the seed of the serpent, is sin. The Lord said, And I will put enmity between the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Not Adam's seed. That's how you would normally look at it. It's her seed. And I think it's very specific that he's mentioning not just Adam's seed. Whenever you read through scripture, it's never the seed of the woman. It's always the seed of the man. Except this occasion. Between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, a fatal blow. Thou shalt bruise his heel. So even there we can see where the word's coming from. The saying that's recorded there in John chapter 1. It's right there in Genesis chapter 3. And all the way through the Old Testament, God is saying exactly how our salvation is going to be won. He's saying it. It's going to be through his son. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Very often we misunderstand that particular section of scripture, John chapter 1. It's very clear. The work of Jesus was absolutely tremendous. He battled against the sin of his own body that you and I share. And he won that battle in death. If you've got any questions afterwards, I'm very open to answer them for you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.